Welcome to Leaders in Travel Beyond the Business Card. I'm Scott Cleaver, and in the coming weeks and months, we'll hear from leaders across the travel corporation who we think have a great story to tell. We'll dive deep into their formative years, what drew them to travel, what makes them tick, and how they get their inspiration. Plus, because we send so many thousands of guests to all parts of the world each year on journeys of exploration and joy, we will ask our leaders about their travel lives, where they've been, what they've seen, and where to next. Today's guest and leader in travel has been described by one of her senior team as someone who leads by example and is both the hardest working and smartest person she knows. High praise indeed. As the president of Trafalgar, Cost Saver, Brennan Vacations, Contiki, and now Adventure World in the USA, her role is critical to the Travel Corporation's success. But how does she describe the real Melissa Da Silva? Well, Scotty, I would say I am a mother. I'm a daughter, I'm a wife, I'm a travel lover, um, and I'm somebody who just is really trying to balance this crazy thing called life and work. And Melissa, you know, formally welcome to the podcast. It's great to have some time with you. I'm really looking forward to um, the time that we have together today. But you know, you you come into the podcast live from from Orange County in California. Are you a are you a true Cali girl? I am. I was born in Los Angeles, uh, but I only lived here for a few years and my family moved to Idaho. Um, But then when we were, I was about nine, we moved up to Northern California to a tiny little town called Truckee. Um, And for those of you who are not from California, that is right near Lake Tahoe. Um, So it's a mountain town, a ski town, tons and tons of snow in the winter, like we would have to tunnel out of our house kind of snow. Um, and it's still one of my favorite places on the planet. I try to get back there at least two or three times a year, but it was, uh, it was an interesting place to grow up. So let's stick with that family life. Was that, uh, a good time in your life? Is that those formative years that shaped you things that you look back on and, and reflect well? Formative. Yes. Um, definitely there was some good stuff. Definitely. There was some bad stuff. I, I, Again, it was a tiny town. It was so small. We didn't even have a stoplight when we first moved there. Um, And we specifically lived on a piece of property that was pretty far out on a dirt road because my family raised Alaskan Malamutes. So fun fact about me, I used to race dog sleds. Um, But we lived so far out on this road that we had no TV. Um, I used to read a lot, but mostly I would spend my time outside. So from the time the sun came up until it went down, we were outside, whether that was fishing, boating, motorcycle riding, snowmobiling, building forts or shooting guns, as the case may be. I really was very much um, a small town girl. And I guess you could kind of say it was idyllic, but also it was borderline white trash quite frankly. (laughs) My family was very, very poor um, to the point where there was a lot of food insecurity. Um, My mom was on welfare for a time. There was a government assistance in terms of just food. She would get government cheese and eggs. Um, I started working when I was about 15. My brother and I both got jobs at restaurants just to make sure we had meals. Um, And I think that was a major influence on me. I think it's what drives me. It's at the core of who I am. I don't ever want that insecurity again. I don't want my kids to grow up not knowing where their next meal is going to come from or how they're going to afford a pair of shoes when they grow out of them. And so 
I think it was extremely formative for me. But um, my mom had great stories from when she was a kid, not a kid, but a teenager and a young woman in her early 20s. And she traveled before settling down. And so I heard those stories and it just seemed something so unattainable and magical. And it's something that I just always wanted to do because of the stories that I heard. And it seemed like a great escape from where I was growing up. You know, you and I are friends who know each other a long time. And one of the things that I would always say about you amongst many other qualities is that you have a determination and you always approach things with a strong purpose. So given that background, that was one that was, you know, was challenged certainly financially to be able to do the things that you wanted in your life to did school and your approach to your schoolwork, was was that a, a, a conscious part of your life to get the grades, to give you the opportunities that you needed? Yeah, 100%. I really saw school as my ticket out of my situation. Um, so I, I focused a lot on making sure, obviously, that I had good grades, although that was it came fairly easily in terms of the scholastic part of it. But I was super involved. I did tons of school clubs. I was a cheerleader. Um, I was vice president of the student body. And I really knew that if I wanted to go to university, I was not only going to have to get good grades, but I was going to have to get scholarships. And so being a well-rounded student was um, really what I needed to do to achieve that. So 100% um, I saw school as my way to move up in the world. So working through school, obviously with those disciplines with those academic results that allow you to pursue further education how did that come about where did you study what did you study what were your learnings from that so i went to ucla um i had i remember i grew up dreaming about travel not thinking that it was something that i would be able to do so in my mind i thought how can i get a job where i'm going to get paid to travel that was my goal how can i get paid to travel and so, you know, whatever, you're 16, 17, you don't have a lot of experience. I didn't know anything about the travel industry. So I thought I'm going to be a journalist because I knew I saw the people on the news and they were out there traveling the world. So that's what I was going to do. So that's why I went to UCLA. Um, they had a great program and uh, it was in Southern California where there was no snow. Um, so that was a big draw for me. Um, and that is why I came down here um, you know, the first time. Um, and I got into the comms department. I studied journalism. I loved it. Um, however, I did have some friends who were traveling all the time. And, you know, I knew that they're, they were not, you know, wealthy and I couldn't understand how they were doing weekend trips to Hawaii and things like that. And I found out that they were working at the travel agency on campus. And so that was my first introduction to a travel agency full stop, but also to the travel industry. So they helped me get an interview and I started working on campus. That was the job I had to help pay my way through school. All right, before we move on to the career path post study and and that that we understand that platform that it gave you and, and obviously to lead it to the role that you're doing today, tell us, let, let's, you know, it's 2021 heading into 2022 tell us about your life today outside of work because I think as a leader in travel it's very easy to see you in the one the singular dimension of the role that you hold and those responsibilities but what do you do to try and achieve that balance outside of work so for me finding balance has been very intentional it's not something that comes natural 
to me. Um, I think it's really easy to get into a pattern where you spend 14 hours a day at work. And to be honest with you, there's always more. It's never like you get to the bottom of the pile. And so I have taken a look at where I am and where I want to be, and that is to be more present with my daughters, more um, taking better care of myself physically. So where you will find me outside of work today is spending as much time as possible with my my two kids. I have a 16, almost 16, should be 16 in two weeks, year old and a 12 year old. And we do a, a lot of trips to Disneyland. I mean, we are in Orange County, California, so you'll find us there at least once a month, I would say. Um, and then whatever other activities they've got going on. My younger daughter's very into drama. Um, my older daughter, funnily enough, is the editor of her school newspaper, also into journalism. Um, you know, so we do family stuff. Um, I also still love my dogs. Um, I grew up with the kennel. Um, I have a husky mix that I got during the pandemic and she makes me very happy. She is hilarious and just the naughtiest dog you've ever met in your entire life. Um, my guilty pleasure is TikTok. I probably get all of my content off of TikTok nowadays. I haven't watched TV in months. Um, and I do try to fit in at least a 30 minute workout a day. So just want to take care of my body. Um, I have learned watching my parents as they've gotten older that if you stop moving your body, that's sort of the beginning of the end. And so I want to make sure that I stay as active as possible. So I do try as much as possible to get balance in my life. Folks, today I'm joined by Melissa De Silva, the president of Trafalgar Cost Saver, Brendan Vacations, Contiki and Adventure World out of the USA. Melissa, let's talk a little bit more about your career path. We've already heard it about that your your academic background but going into a, a drive to be in travel it's been part of your life for the best part of, of 30 years and i hope i'm not giving away too many secrets there but tell us about your career path to get to where you are today because it's it's again it's too easy to look from the outside and believe that someone's already always held those positions yeah, for sure. So I started, like I said, working at the travel agency when I was at university. And I actually also had an internship at the same time. So I, the travel agency was my job. That was what I was paying, you know, using to pay my way through college um, to subsidize my scholarships. But I had an internship that I actually hated. Um, and it was with MGM and I just didn't like it at all. And so I ended up quitting it and picking up more hours at the travel agency. And I think about that a lot. And I think that that was actually a really valuable internship for me. I don't think an internship only needs to tell you the thing that you should be doing or the career you should be taking, but it also showed me the career I didn't want to take. Um, and it crystallized that travel was where my future was going to be. Um, so I worked there. We didn't earn commission but you could earn free trips or free tickets or whatever whatever the suppliers gave the agency that quarter that's what they would basically let the top sellers earn and so i just busted my butt i was the top seller every quarter that i worked there um, and my very 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 first trip out of the country i earned a ticket on american airlines and i also earned a free kentucky trip and this was in the days before they had put strong terms and conditions on those earned incentives. And so I took advantage of that and I booked myself a 30 day European panorama. And I went 
the summer between my uh, junior and senior year. And I really think that that was a crystallizing moment for me in terms of, okay, this is really what I want to do. Um, when I got back uh, during my senior year, we had a supplier come do a training with us. They were from STA Travel. We sold their student tickets on campus. And uh, I said to the guy that was there, I said, hey, my name's Melissa. I'm graduating. I would love a job. And he kind of laughed at me. And I said, no, 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 really. I can't work here after I graduate. It's a student gig. I need a job. What do you say? So I interviewed. I ended up getting a seasonal travel consultant job there. Um, I made a whopping $13,000 a year. Um, nowhere near enough to pay my bills, but still, you know, those of us that work in travel, we do it because we love it. Um, and so I worked there for high season. And at the end of the high season, I was out selling pretty much everybody that worked there, but I was the seasonal, so they couldn't keep me on. So he gave me a recommendation. I ended up at one of the stores in Santa Monica. Um, I, I will tell you, I went through those first three months with STA, something like six hours of interviews to get these, these jobs. It was crazy. But um, I got the job at Santa Monica and about a month later, my manager was promoted and there was a vacancy um, for her role and nobody else in the store wanted to go for it. So they all encouraged me to go for it. So I did. Um, and I was really, really fortunate because I was able to grow up with STA. So I ended up being there for about 18 years. I held a number of roles from travel consultant to trainer to sales director. I was the VP of operations. Ultimately, I moved to London where I was the head of their global business solutions. That's where my daughter was born. And then I came back to the US where I was VP of sales. And during that time period, when I started, there was 12 stores. Um, I think we were doing $20 million a year in turnover total. I mean, think about that, that's like nothing. And by the time I had moved to London, we were up to 167 stores and 250 million in sales a year. So I was, it was, partly right time, right place. It was also a lot of me not knowing any better in terms of putting my hand up for roles that I wasn't necessarily um, experienced for, but I felt like I had the potential. And so I put my hand up and sure enough, they gave me opportunities and I took them. And so, um, I, you know, I learned a lot and I learned a lot about every aspect of the business. I ended up applying for a role at Kentucky in 2012, at the very end of 2012, um, because I didn't like the direction that STA was going. And I think, sadly, um, you know, during the pandemic, we saw that they went bankrupt. And unfortunately, I did see the writing on the wall nine years ago now. I just didn't, didn't agree with the, the direction. So I applied for a job at Kentucky. And... Uh, I actually had to apply three times. So there was a role available and I applied via a headhunter and I didn't get a interview. So I applied on the TTC website, didn't get an interview. I applied via LinkedIn, couldn't get an interview. And I just kept thinking to myself, man, I have almost two decades of youth travel experience. If you count, you know, the on-campus agency plus STA, and I couldn't even get a first interview. So um, you know, me being me, um, I'm pretty tenacious. Um, I think, again, that comes from my scrappy background. So 
I used what resources I had and I reached out to the CEO of Kentucky at the time and I said, hey, there's this role available. I really think I'd be great for it. And he um, set up an interview for me. Um, and within 24 hours, I had an interview with Richard Launder and Brett Tolman. And I think 72 hours later, I had a job offer. So I think tenacity goes a really long way. And if doors get shut in your face, just keep trying different locks and different windows. Um, so that was Kentucky. I started 2013, January 2013. So almost nine years ago. Um, and I was there for about four and a half years before I made the switch over to Trafalgar, Cost Saver, and Brendan. And then during the pandemic, we took back over um, the Kentucky brand. And then, as you mentioned at the top of the show, we recently launched Adventure World here in the U.S., and we're very excited about that. Um, it just was launched in the trade press last week. We did a soft launch a couple months ago with one of our biggest partners, and I just think it's the perfect time um, because there was a few FIT operators um, that didn't fare so well um, with their relationship with the trade during the pandemic. So it's a great opportunity to just take some market share. So really excited about all of the brands that I lead here in the U.S. There's obviously a lot to look forward to. I, I, I want to talk about you and, you know, if we look through your career history from those very early days, you know, becoming a store manager and through training and, and obviously leadership has been an important part of, of the roles that you've held. So in terms of leadership philosophies, do you have them? How are they formed? Yeah, I think I was so green and so new when I first became a manager of that store in Santa Monica. And to be honest with you, I didn't really feel like I was worthy of that position because everybody that I was managing had so much more experience than I did. Um, and so when they would give me feedback on things that I was either not doing well on or doing well on, I didn't have any, um, I wasn't defensive. I didn't come at it from a, I know better than you because I really didn't. And so because I wasn't defensive and because I was able to receive their feedback in the manner in which they intended it, which was constructive, they were like, hey, here are things that would make our team work better, things that would make our store perform better. Um, and because I was able to receive that and implement it and then see good results, it is something that I have taken with me, I think, throughout the rest of the steps of my career. So as I have moved throughout various organizations now, I always seek to get feedback. I want feedback not just from people who are managing me, but people throughout the organization, whether they are, you know, within my team or just related tangentially, because I feel like everybody's got great ideas. And if you're open to those and you're open to hearing those, um, you know, it just, it makes it more, um, you have a better view, a more well-rounded view of what's going on. And really many minds is better than just my one brain, right? But I do think if you are going to ask for feedback, I do think if you're going to say that you have an open door policy, I think if you are going to ask people to fill out surveys and tell you what you could do better, et cetera, you have to listen to them. It doesn't mean you have to implement all of it, but you have to listen and you have to respond and react. Even if that's to say, 
I hear you. I understand what you're saying, but this is the direction we're going to go in. This is why. And I think if you can have that kind of dialogue, I think it goes a really long way in building that team, that rapport, that trust. So I, that's number one, is always seek for feedback and then act on it. Um, I was also really fortunate in terms of my formative years. When I did start at STI, I worked for a very, very um, smart, intelligent, savvy businesswoman. Um, and so she was very much a business mentor for me and really just showed to me that there didn't have to be glass ceilings. Um, and so I learned a lot from her in terms of business, profit and loss, understanding the business from all different angles. But interestingly, as a manager, as a leader, she was terrorizing. Um, she was very difficult to work for. Um, there was a lot of public scrutiny of people. It would make you feel really, really bad um, if you were on the receiving end of that. And so I think I learned a lot also about what not to do in those experiences and what not to model. So that was a big part of me learning how to build a team. And I guess that comes back to my biggest philosophy in leadership, and that is to rely on your team. You want to build a team that's better than you are at their job. You want to share your vision with them, and then you want to let them loose. And what I mean by that is you want to move barriers out of the way so that they can be successful and really just let them do what you hired them to do. And you need to build, before you can do that, you need to build a culture of trust. And I think trust goes both ways. So it's very much about, you need to trust that the person that you've hired is going to be great at their job, but they need to trust you that if they make a decision, they're not going to be, you know, in trouble if they make it an error or if they make a calculated decision that didn't go the way that they intended it to go. Now, that's not to say somebody can be careless or negligent, right? But if somebody is making decisions in the best interest of the company using the information that they've got available to them, um, you need to let them run with that. And I think if you can create a team that is empowered, that has defined roles and responsibilities, and you allow them to make those decisions, you're going to end up with a super creative team that isn't afraid to take risks, which means it's going to move your business forward and you're not going to be stuck in that rut of always doing things the way that you've done them. And so I would say that ultimately 99.9% of my success comes down to my teams and the people that have worked for me throughout all of my different positions in the org, in any organization I've worked in. Um, I would, I would say that's my, my superpower is hiring and cultivating teams that are fantastic at what they do. So it's it's a lot less about me and a lot more about them, but I do do a good job of getting stuff out of their way. It's an interesting point that you make. And I think that there's a failure sometimes in leadership when we say, as a leader to somebody in our team, that, okay, we're going to, I'm going to back you. We're going to go with your way that you thought this out ready to execute. But I think that the failure comes at the end when there's almost the caveat that says, and if it doesn't work, we'll try something else. I think that's a failure of leadership. I think it's that piece where if I'm saying, I back you, I believe in you. If I'm going to say yes, then we're all in it together. And there, there can't be a, 
a conditional love, a conditional support for that idea. Again, as we, I think for somebody listening to our time together or somebody that, that you know, dials you up and sees what your, your role is and what they've heard about you today, it's this kind of linear path to success. You know, a motivated person who did the hard work, this combination of natural talent and hard work, and it got you to that level. And, and that's great. You've, I won't just say you've enjoyed success, you've experienced success because of doing those things to get there. Great. But I heard a quote the other day, and I love it. It says that failure is a bruise, not a tattoo. In other words, we don't, those things where we fall off track along the way, they don't have to define us. How do you deal with that? Because everybody at a time in their life surely experiences failure, setback. But does Melissa De Silva, who holds this, you know, a senior role within this business and always looks like she's got her, her stuff together, you know, how do you deal with those setbacks? So usually when I have experienced a setback, let's say something goes wrong at work, I can think of some really specific experiences. I tend to get very solution oriented. And I do think that that's just who I am as a person that's in my DNA is to look for the solution. So rather than wallowing in, oh my gosh, I'm in this horrible failure situation, I think, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to learn from it? And how am I going to get out of it? And what are we going to do to make sure that it never happens again? And I think that just being solution oriented gives you the power in the situation. It takes you from being the victim to being somebody who is going to be your own hero to get you out of that situation. So I, I do think that that is just in my mindset. That's always been what I've done is how can I get out of the situation and I'm in and get to a better situation. And that's really what problem solving is. Um, and I, I think you have to have a deep, belief in yourself. Um, I, I think back even to my job interview, and I remember uh, we take DISC very seriously here in the US. We all do our DISC analysis. And it, the first time I had really used it uh, was here at TTC. So I had to fill out my my survey. And I remember Richard Launder looking at it. And you know, we're, we're, we're pretty getting close to the end where he's going to give me this job offer, I'm thinking. And he's like, oh, you're Disc assessment says that you really should not be managing people. I'm thinking to myself, man, I have just come off of, you know, 18 years of managing teams that I know I've done a good job. But I also know that that was something that I learned because I was taking feedback from people. It never came naturally to me. It didn't come naturally to me to just automatically give people kudos because that's not something I ever received. It didn't come naturally to me to be, you know, whatever, direct and upfront with people when they were late. I needed somebody to say to me, hey, it's not fair that that guy gets to come in 45 minutes late every day if we're here busting our butts. So, but because I took that feedback on board and because I um, incorporated it, I became a better manager, not just a better manager. I think I'm a great leader at this stage um, for, for many people. But my DISC assessment, which is based on your natural tendencies, said, oh, this girl should not be managing people. And I remember that it was close. I had to really convince him that, no, 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 I, I promise you, I know what my my shortcomings are and I work really hard to overcome those. And so I think that would be another thing is that understand, be very self-aware, understand your weaknesses and just be prepared to to strengthen them up all the time. You speak of a collaborative team and an environment that you try to cultivate to encourage feedback. 
obviously in any business you have layers of hierarchy so as a leader you'll typically receive feedback if you're open to it from one of a better term the people that report to you and also you'll receive feedback from those that you report to but what about your brain food do you have uh, peers mentors people within the business outside of the business that also add to your pool of knowledge or, or examples that you see that that you check or measure yourself against? I don't think I measure myself, but I would say every single day I'm seeking to learn something new. And I mostly get that from the people that I'm working with. So, you know, right now within my own team, like I said, I hire people that are better at what they do than what I could ever do. So from a, let's marketing is a great example. Rita Kelly is brilliant at what it is that she does with marketing and strategy and digital and all of that. And so I have been able over the course of the last eight years to learn from her. And as a result of that, I feel like I am very strong now in that area of the business where I, that was certainly one of my weaknesses. And again, being very self-aware, something that I wanted to strengthen. That was a muscle I needed to learn to flex. Um, so, you know, that has been huge for me. Um, I work with Modby on a really regular basis, and she's an extremely critical thinker. And I learn from her every day with regards to the different areas of the business and and how they fit together. You know, Joe Baisley is constantly reminding us to think of, you know, what would the customer, how would they receive this? You know, get outside of our own heads and just, you know, because a lot of times we talk to ourselves. Let's be realistic. And we have to sometimes step out of that. Um, Richard was an amazing boss who really taught me about using your resources at TTC and in his words, expanding your circle of influence. And I think you can be amazing at what you do, but if nobody knows about it, besides your direct manager, you're probably not going to get as far just because people don't know. So you want to put yourself out there. You want to be visible. You want to, you know, say hi to people when you're in the cafeteria or, you know, Hey, can I have five minutes to just pick your brain? It, depending on who that person is, people come into my office all the time just to chat with me about an idea that they have, or they'll send me an email or a team's message. And like I said, if you have an open door policy, like I do, I'm going to take the time to listen to those people. Um, but externally, I read a lot of Brene Brown and lately I've been listening to her podcast. She's got two of them, which are exceptional. Um, Simon Sinek, who most people know, um, he's the find your why guy, but he also did an amazing book on the infinite game, which I think is a real game changer for me. It's about not chasing a result, but chasing, um, like it's not, you're not there to win. You're there to better yourself every single day, essentially, or the company or whatever it is, your goal and your mission have to be bigger than hitting a target. Um, Adam Grant, I think is phenomenal. Tim Ferriss is another really good podcast I listen to. And the reason being is he interviews a lot of industry leaders just to understand, you know, what makes them tick. So you get a lot of different ideas. Um, and then just recently I started, uh, following, um, Austin Channing Brown, who's, uh, an author of I'm still here, um, which is all about, you know, the basically on the back of what happened last year with George Floyd, I realized I needed to do a lot more education of myself about the struggles in 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 the U.S. about the systemic racism, et cetera. So she is one of the authors that I started reading, as well as 
um, watching some really great videos from Emmanuel Acho, who does the uncomfortable conversations with the black man. So I'm just trying to really broaden my horizons at this stage and just learn more about what I don't know. The last area I want to explore with you today, Melissa, is about you not just your life and travel, but your travel life. So I've got a, a few quick fire questions uh, with the time we've got left together. And uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Your defining moment in travel. Two, probably. So the first would be my first trip to Europe that I talked to you about. Um, if there was one trip that solidified my career and the path that I've been on for the last 30 years, that was it. And the other one would be my first trip to Alaska. Um, and that I cried. I cried when I left. I was sitting on the plane, tear coming down my eye. And I had spent three weeks camping through Alaska and the Yukon. And it was, you know, if you've ever been, Alaska is so wild and rugged. And I really felt so small in a very big way, if that makes sense. Like you just feel that the universe is so vast and the potential is limitless. Yeah, we, you, you and I, even together, have been to some wonderful parts of the world and, and hopefully that's not too far away again. But you know, your best experience in travel? Oof, so many. Um, there's a lot of things that I will never forget, like when I was in Alaska and watching the midnight sun on a lake um, about two o'clock in the morning. Um, zip lining in Costa Rica. I am terrified of heights, Scott, terrified. And I forced myself to do the zip lining because I thought I'm not going to let my fears hold me back. And so I did it. And I have now been zip lining three more times after that because it was, it was amazing to like feel myself overcome my fear, but also it was just so beautiful. Um, one of the zip lines was like a mile long. It was terrifying and wonderful. Um, I got to do a safari in Africa where we actually got to watch literally a lion take down a warthog. And it was very circle of life stuff. Like it was just, it, we were just witnessing nature at its finest. And it was, it was really, really powerful. Um, I got to do the um, Wild West Cowboys and Buffaloes trip with my daughters. I had actually booked it before I started working for Trafalgar actually. And I brought the Trafalgar brochure home and I said to my girls, which trip do you want to do? I was thinking they were going to pick Europe or I don't know. I don't know what I thought they were going to pick, but they chose a national parks trip, which I was super excited about. Cause like I said, I love the mountains, my happy place. Um, and at the end of the trip, the whole trip is just fantastic. And we had seen so much of the Native American history and culture throughout this trip. We'd gone to Cody, we had gone to um, see the Crazy Horse Memorial, et cetera. But at the end, when you're in Rapid City, you get to meet Stephen Yellowhawk. And for anybody who hasn't, I know we talk about him a lot in our brochures, but he's so funny and he's such an amazing storyteller. And the way that he tells his story and shares it about his coming of age and you know, how he grew up very at risk and his grandfather not really embracing their heritage and then how them embracing it together almost was his ticket out of the path he was going down and the relationship that, you know, he continued to build with his grandfather who does all of his beading of his, you know, dress work and things like that. It was just really powerful. And my older daughter at the time was so inspired by all of the things we had seen on the trip, which was then solidified by this 
meeting of Stephen Yellowhawk that she ended up doing her eighth grade National History Day project on the Native American relocation. And I just was so proud of the impact that travel had on her as a then, I guess she was 12 at the time, 12 year old. And it was just, I don't know, it was one of those transformational moments again that I was really, really proud of. I, uh, I've met Stephen too. And like you, it was something that, that has stuck with me deeply. And, you know, I've always thought in regards to our responsibilities around travel, that you know, travel encourages conversation and the more conversation we have, the less conflict. And obviously we talk in the modern age, you know, with genuine intent about diversity and making sure that we have a, a range of, of peoples and whatever makes them unique and special in any environment. And I, it really did reinforce to me that having a number of different perspectives is something that makes our, our society richer. So I, I certainly share that sentiment. A couple more questions to finish. What, what, what's travel taught you? I mean, just leading on from what you've just said, it's taught me to be more open, um, to have a deeper and greater respect for other cultures and their beliefs. Um, and that, you know, our way is not the only way or the best way. Um, it's taught me definitely to be prepared. Uh, it has taught me how to plan. Um, I'm an excellent packer. <laughs> Give you tips any day. You, you come across to me as somebody that would probably have that in hand. You certainly appear to have those, those disciplines. So my last question around your travel is where, where are you headed to next? You got plans to travel soon? So I've been working on this uh, TTC top three and it's really got my brain going but i will tell you peru has been at the top of my list for way too long i really 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 need to, to tick it off the list i desperately want to go to machu picchu i want to go to the sun gate i want to see sunrise i i i want to see you know the condors flying i'm just i really am enamored with with the idea of going to peru and so Hopefully in the next 12 months, that will be on my list. But before that, I am celebrating a very special milestone birthday in Ireland with my two best friends. Um, and they're also from tiny little small town Truckee. We've been best friends since we were nine. We do an annual trip every year, and this will definitely be a big one for us. So we're looking forward to that and spending that special birthday at Ashford Castle. So that's my next one. Well, the wonderful part of the world and a very special place to do that. So many congratulations. My last question before saying thank you for being so generous with your time. What advice would you give the 20-year-old Melissa De Silva if you were to meet her? I would say, say yes. Say yes. Don't wait until you've got the experience. If you've got the potential, go for it. I think I was young enough and foolish enough to have said yes many times when I was young. And I would say in hindsight, those were the best decisions I ever made. So continue to do that, continue to say yes. I would also say, don't plan your life out too much. I think, you know, the silliest interview question ever is where do you want to be in five or 10 years? If you know, and you follow that path, then you close yourself off to so many amazing possibilities. So don't plan it out too much. Just see what comes at you and be open to what life offers and say yes. What would you say, Scott? What would you tell yourself? Well, to probably work a little bit harder at school would have been the first thing I'd have said. But I, I always believe in the adage of 
you know, take your work seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. There is enough sadness in the world and, and much of it justified to not enjoy the things that are special, to not be grateful for the, the things and the people that you have in, in your life, the places that you get to see. So that sounds a little bit highbrow, but I, I really believe that and always always aim for, for happy. The, the great thing about traveling to me, or one of the great gifts that travel gives you in particular, is to see what other people are faced with. And whilst you don't wish it upon them and whilst you would never want to profit from someone else's sadness i think perspective is an incredibly powerful gift that we can have so uh, can i yeah. share one other anecdote or story i guess because we we started this out talking about balance and i just want to bring it full circle and one of the things that i shared with my team um was something i picked up and i, I don't know where i picked it up so i can't take credit for it but if you're looking at your life as a bunch of balls that you have to juggle, and let's face it, we talk about that all the time. We're all very busy and we are all juggling a bunch of balls. We need to remember which ones of those balls are glass and which ones are able to bounce back. And so if you think about the different things in your life that you're juggling and you remember that, you know, you've got work, you've got whatever your other commitments are. It could be your marriage, it could be your kids, it could be your family, you know, like your parents, it could be whatever it is that's in your life that's important to you. Remember which ones are glass and don't let those ones fall. And so that's what I would say is that sometimes we can let a ball fall and it'll bounce back. You need to know in your mind which ones are which. And so I will just sort of leave you with that because there's no way we're all gonna be perfect jugglers all the time. Some sage advice indeed from someone due to celebrate a milestone birthday soon <laughs> um melissa it goes without saying that incredibly grateful for your time you're a you're a wonderful friend and you're a, a wonderful leader in travel and thanks for inviting us to go beyond the business card for those listening out there if there's a leader that you know within the travel corporation that you think others would enjoy hearing from you know click me an email scott.cleaver at ttc.com Melissa, thanks very much and enjoy that wonderful birthday in Ireland coming up soon. Thank you, Scotty.